Hello and welcome to Inside B2B, sponsored by The Marketing Practice, a three-part podcast in which we look at some of the biggest challenges facing B2B businesses and marketers and how to front up to them. With the help of some of the most learned, opinionated and expert B2B marketers around, we hope to stimulate, edify and even help you navigate the modern B2B marketing environment. Now, the modern marketing environment, indeed life, has somewhat been derailed in the past month by the coronavirus pandemic. We've been forced to act, behave, think and do things very differently. Uh, Best laid plans have been scuppered, business models have been disrupted and we are all facing an uncertain future. So where does this leave B2B businesses and marketers and how can they best cope now and in the near future? I'm not going to ponder and answer these questions alone. You'll be glad to hear. I have some wonderful B2B marketers with me uh, to help me do that. Let me introduce them. Colin Lewis, who, when he's not writing a column for Marketing Week, guest lecturing at Technological University in Dublin. He is the CMO of OpenJaw Technologies, which delivers retail and data technology and services to the travel industry. Hello, Colin. Hello, Russell. And we also have uh, Rhiannon Prothero, who, after notable stints in senior marketing positions at Vodafone and SAP, now runs marketing in EMEA for cloud platform ServiceNow. Hello, Rhiannon. Hi, Russell. And we have David Van Shaik, who's the CMO of The Marketing Practice. Hello, David. Hi, Russell. So, how have the last couple of weeks been for you guys? Um, It's been a really interesting time, I would say. Uh, I think, like everybody, we've been getting used to doing things a bit differently. And for anyone who's working from home in this kind of chaos, you know, everyone will understand the challenges of leaping from room to room to find peace and quiet to do calls, battling with the other members of the household for bandwidth, uh, trying to make sure that everything keeps ticking along. So, you know, that's been interesting, I would say, but also, you know, there's something else about the creativity that's driven out of it. I mean, I've been really staggered by the way in which my team have rallied around this new normal um, and have tried to work out ways in which we can continue to deliver, but in a different and, and better way. So pros and cons, I would say. Colin and David, I'm guessing you uh, that resonates with you in terms of pros and cons. Yeah, well, yeah over this side of the water, it's been uh, very, very interesting. We're on lockdown three weeks at this stage and learning very fast how to communicate with customers and with uh, employees, with everybody across the globe. And it's been a, a tough learning experience. And I think there's, there's two games going on. There's how you work with your own team, work with your company, work with your customers, but then it's how you manage yourself as well. And I think that's actually probably amongst the biggest challenges for everybody. Not sure what you think, David. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree, actually. I think I, I was going to say it's, it's been a lot of extremists. I think it's been kind of shocking and scary and a bit thrilling and not much in between. And, you know, if you if you haven't any media, clearly you're sort of assailed by death and disruption and, and that cognitive dissonance being able to get on with your job is, is quite hard to achieve. But if you can concentrate on the marketing bubble, there's you know there's this huge challenge all of a sudden that's been laid at your feet. Your customer needs have changed dramatically almost overnight. And I think uh, in most companies, a lot of people are looking at marketing to take a leadership role and to show how to adapt to this change. Uh, and you've also got the, the creativity that Rihanna talked about, the burst of creativity, and everyone really wants to rise to the challenge and find ways to help one another. Uh, and that, that as a marketer is a real thrill. Um, but I think that there is a caveat there. You know, I'm lucky I work for a company that's relatively okay. And I think if you're a marketer in a company that's furloughing half its staff and fighting for survival, then 
that's a different game. And I think for hope for their sake, we get back to normal as soon as possible. Yeah. And the uh, the shocking, scaring and uh, scary, sorry, and thrilling um, comment that you made there, I think, will uh, ring tr- very true and very loudly for pretty much everybody that's listening. Um, it has been a shock, and uh, it can be scary, but obviously the need to think and behave differently is both challenging but also can be quite thrilling as well. Um, however, as you touched upon there, it has been uh, scary and uh, lots of people have been deeply impacted. We ran a, a survey which seems like an age ago now. It was just right before enforced remote working and lockdown uh, where we asked uh, marketers uh, B2B and B2C, but we got a big chunk of B2B marketers, what had been the immediate business impact. And uh, the numbers, which I imagine have only got bigger since, were quite scary at that stage. So 55% poor products or service launches. Uh, 43% of marketers have delayed or are reviewing planned technology or infrastructure spending. 41% have put any breaks on any planned new hires. And that was right at the beginning, as I say. Colin, I mean, why are B2B marketers in particular exposed to the vagaries that we're seeing right now? That's a good question because that brings up the question for uh, people listening to the podcast, the difference between B2B and B2C. In business to consumer, you control the levers of demand, of demand a little bit closer. It's a little bit easier to control, uh, to, to drive demand. But in B2B, Everything is indirect. It's what happens elsewhere drives demand for your particular business. So, for instance, uh, if you take, say, travel, which is at the forefront of uh, everybody's mind at the moment, if the airlines stop flying, that means there's no need for fuel. If the airlines stop flying, there's no need for um, food on board. Uh, There's no need for people selling technology to airlines and so on. It just keeps going. So your demand for B2B is always indirect. And as soon as the end product or the end consumer stops buying, that affects the consumer market, which therefore means the the B2B market grinds to a halt very quickly. And there's one second uh, thing which, you know, I think we're all familiar with is in many cases with B2B, the decision making is a little bit longer. It's not on the spot. It could be the one, the business I work in, the the decision making can be up to two years And and the ticket price is higher. And there's a lot of more people involved in making the decision. It's very common across all B2B businesses. So once you uh, can put out a decision, you will. If the ticket price is higher, you'll put it out. And of course, you will. And if if there's so much uh, buy-in required across the business, that decision will also be put off. So B2B is really caught in in a, a bit of a bind at the moment. And David, experiences of your clients, do you have anything to add to that in terms of business to business companies and the impact in particular on them? Yeah, I mean, I, I recognise the quandary, certainly. And I think the first thing to say, you know, across our clients is, is they're not switching everything off. It's it's a case of um, trying to find the right balance and keep going in the right areas. And, you know, for, for any that did start by thinking that this was just going to be an event replacement challenge, you know, within 24, 48 hours, I think they pretty quickly realised it was much bigger than that. And this, the shift in customer needs we talked about has, has meant that kind of 80, 90% of the marketing plan as needed not scrapping but recalibrating um you know i saw someone say this week that pivot needed to be added to the buzzword bingo list uh, and i kind of agree with that i think everyone is uh, is pivoting and swiveling like billio to adapt their plans 
Um, but you know, I think there are some some interesting trends in in the different ways people are approaching that. And that brings us on in terms of the marketing and marketers' reaction. I mean, uh, David, what you said earlier and Rhiannon touched upon, you have to do things differently. You have to behave and act very differently because you've been forced to. You talked about the creative opportunity and challenge uh, that perhaps marketers are particularly well-placed to, uh, to, to meet. I mean, and Rhiannon, I mean, we, you, you presumably, like all other marketers, have been forced to think differently, perhaps to call upon uh, different skills and to pull on different levers. I mean, as a marketer of, uh, of, a, of a large and well-known uh, B2B company, I mean, what have you had to do differently and how have you had to behave and think differently uh, in response to this? So, um, I mean, Colin touched on the fact that there is a difference between B2C marketing and B2B marketing, and I've been in both environments. Um, but I actually think what we did very quickly was to move towards a more consumer view of empathy. So, you know, B2B businesses are very, very good and have historically been very successful by being extremely able to clearly articulate what we have, what we have that could fix your problem, right? And what we've had to pivot towards is, is more like, um, what do you need? So instead of here's what we have, do you want it? <laughs> it's what do you need and how can we get creative with you as a potential customer or customer in terms of understanding how what we have can improve your situation because we are now forced to think in terms of what is your peculiar need. Um, so we have gone straight back to um, segmentation, micro-segmentation, um, and just much more um, towards customer centricity. So when I talk about this whole situation being kind of full of pros and cons, um, it, the cons are easy to identify, right? And they're, they're plentiful. Um, but actually, some of the pros are it has forced us back to basics. It's forced us to say, you know, where can we identify an area where what we have is compelling and unique and needed right now by our customers who are also our partners? Because that's what you get in a B2B environment. You very, very rarely a transactional relationship. It's much more of a partnership. And so we've had to lean in really strongly into understanding those really precise needs of those very precise segments. So I have to say, I think it will ultimately make us better. <laughs> I think it will make us better at what we do. And it's a bit of a sanity check to say, actually, it's easy to drift into this sort of format of here's what we have. And we should always be pulling back to what do you need and how can we help? And that's a really interesting perspective. And it's not, it's one that uh, has been shared with me by a couple of uh, marketers in the last couple of weeks, uh, both B2B and B2C. Uh, this sense that um, I think somebody, you know, it's uh, it was an in, it's definitely an intervention, but in some cases a necessary one. The sense that it's actually forced people to go back and really think about customer centricity, really think about customer orientation, but also to be able to pull on different tactical levers, campaigns, P for promotion, not really available, not something that you can justify to a CFO of spending money on now. And then, Colin, from your point of view, um, is this? I mean, clearly not a welcome one, uh, but a certainly one that's going to really test the, the metal of a marketer, a B2B marketer in particular. The I was on a call a few weeks ago, and one of the gentlemen on the call said, you know what, this is an example of instant digital transformation. What's happened in the last few weeks, you've, we've gone from tootling around in our offices, meeting people face-to-face, -to, -face, to almost overnight 
uh, where it's a fourth digital transformation. But that actually that transformation uh, is forcing marketers to be super flexible and reprioritize it. Re, you know, very good at reprioritizing on a daily basis. And I think that's the the one thing. If you were complacent at all, and you know, was I'm not saying we were we were complacent, but we definitely had medium term plans in place, and we were planning for what was going to happen in October, November. We had dates in place for events in China. We had dates in place for stuff in in Europe. Everything was working humbly, and I said in January, I said this is going to be a much easier year than last year. Boy, was I wrong! And it built into us this whole idea of being, you know, prioritizing on the spot, reprioritizing on the spot, I should say, being flexible and actually maybe just doing, you know, turning the whole thing on its head. In, in the past, we you could, you know, taking Rihanna's point there, you, you could say, we're going out there putting our wares on display. Now we're actually inverting that to say, what can help you? What do you need? How can we help you? And indeed, partner companies I work with were were asking us to provide material for their customers so that they could go and say, here's how to survive in bad times because we've been experienced with this before uh, elsewhere. So it's just an inversion, an instant digital transformation. And, and David, uh, in terms of um, helping clients and having uh, perhaps presenting different facets of what you do, I mean, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we've... Uh, we focused on straight away and and, and all our clients are, are straight away onto the point Rihanna was making about customer centricity. There's definitely been a, a pretty much a uniform focus on like existing customers and utility. How can we how can we help? And I think there is that interesting change in the timeframes and the immediacy now because I think in the past you would have you would certainly have been asking that question. How can we help our existing customers? But then there would probably be in a uh, another question you'd be uh, trying to answer at the same time, which was then, okay, how are we going to commercialise that? But but now it's it's so sort of immediate that it's just enough to say, right, how can we be helpful and what can we do to be useful in the current scenario? And uh, you've taken away that second question. It, it actually allows a lot more creativity. And I think to Rhiannon's point, it encourages people to be really thinking hard about their customers and trying to empathise with them. I think one of the interesting questions that a lot of our clients are wrestling with then and um you know we're seeing a bit more divergence and is how do you get that tone right and and is it acceptable to be inverted commas selling in the moment uh, or how you know where do you draw the line yeah it's a really tough challenge i imagine that again for all marketers in all places because marketers are essentially there to generate demand um, to drive growth and the economy's got to keep on working the the wheels cannot stop entirely so how do you strike that tone um so because you know in order to make sure that you're still getting the leads you're still generating those and you're still building a pipeline i mean how do you how do you create that balance at the moment yeah and, and i'll come back to my previous point which is we're striking the balance by engaging with customers on their need the reality is that for business, you know, different segments, different industries are struggling differently with this current environment, right? And so we need to be ultra sensitive and ultra empathetic in that area. So, you know, we are making sure that we are leaning into being the kind of company that they need us to be as a partner. And to your point about demand gen, we are giving ourselves, I guess, 
longer. <laughs> you know, we are we are not expecting instant results from this. We're not expecting your kind of classic campaign see result. We're, we're, we're thinking about it in terms of in our community of customers and prospects, we now need to work harder to understand what the real need is and what the real help that they're looking for is. And it differs. It differs from customer to customer. It differs, it differs based on industry. It differs based on country. Um, and, you know, we got to be very, very sensitive to that. With that said, of course, we are a commercial business, um, but we're just having to, I think we're just being much more aware of this being a journey rather than a destination, if you know what I mean. So instead of insisting on measurement right now, we're thinking, how do we help just raise awareness as much as anything of the vast spectrum of things we could help with, whereas perhaps in the past we'd have gone in with much more specific um, kind of campaigning buttons and messaging. Um, and also we've we've looked at it as an opportunity, I suppose, to reinforce the kind of brand we are. Um, we're not going to be, you know, going for hard and heavy tactics. We don't anyway. That's not who we are. But actually, in a crisis, it's really, really good to be able to demonstrate that that is our brand value and that, you know, when the pressure's on, that's still who. But, you know, we don't we don't change who we are because things are are, are a bit difficult for everybody. Um, so I think it's it's a bit of humanity in the process. We are we are go, we are stepping forward in a way that we would like people to step forward with us. I think. Yeah, that humanity point I think is is a good one. And I just you know add, we do quite a lot of work for our clients, talking to their customers and, and prospects, you know, directly through demand gen and telemarketing and, and account based marketing. And I would say that they're, they're, the end audience are very much open to that conversation at the moment. It, you, they are. Um, as long as you approach it in a human and kind of candid way, they're, they're they're happy to talk. They want to be listened to and to be understood. And if you can if you can get the, the tone right, then it's uh, it's still very much a situation in which you can, you know, actively go out to market and, and talk to customers and prospects, but with a with a with a, with a kind of a listening mode, I guess. Russell, I want to come back to this point about the different industries. So Rihanna made a great point on that. The I've got like two insider pieces of knowledge here, um, all literally in the last 24 hours. Uh, and I think this is what our, our podcast listeners are going to be looking for. The one challenge with B2B is that pre, we call it B2B, but actually all the industries are different. Working in tech is very different to working in uh, car parts, which is very different to working in, you know, whatever, B2B financial services. And so if you take, say, the anybody selling into anything to do with travel, is essentially ground to a halt. It's going into hibernation over the next couple of months. You just need to look at the, at the newspaper to find out that the VA are laying off 30,000 staff for a couple of months to show you that there's not even a person you can talk to there. So that's why the point about being flexible and in the moment is so true because you got to react day to day. But that reaction uh, around day-to-day is also important in another business. So I'm on a board of a company, and the number one supplier was on the call with us this morning for about 20 minutes, half an hour. And it was very interesting. He was saying the business is through the roof, but we're having to look at payments much closer. We have to see who is going to be able to pay us, and they're going to be put on shorter, tighter, tighter leash. And so although demand is very strong, the whole cash flow end of things meant that they're actually having a different approach 
to demand than they would have had before. Normally in the past, this B2B business would have rolled the wave. Now they're saying we'll turn away demand unless they can guarantee they can get paid. So there's really a different uh, kind of frame now bring, being brought in. And they even said that the sales director for that business is now gold on whether they can reduce the number of debtor days and the payments involved. So demand is unlimited, but they actually now bring this different layer into the demand, which is payment capability. That's really interesting. I mean, what's coming through very strongly from what everybody's saying is some of these buzzwords, if you like, uh, that people have uttered for quite some time, whether or not it be customer centricity or agile or agile marketing, are actually being really put to the test right now. I mean, this question of being agile, we almost sound like football uh, managers, you know, talking about taking each day as it comes and reacting to the situation, etc. But that seems to me to be really important right now, at least. But when do you start moving forward? When do you start planning for what's next? Um, can you plan for what's next? Because touch wood we're going to start to come out of this situation as it is in terms of total lockdown Um, but then of course we've got the spectre and the unwelcome spectre of of macroeconomic downturn and recession so how do you start thinking about the future or do you not think about the future right now Uh, you forgot one cliche, Russell, which is you, you can only play the team in front of you. And uh, that is the, uh, the cliche, sad but true for us now. Um, I, I, I did some analysis on this. I was looking around to see what others were doing. And I'd be interested to see what everybody else's perspective on this. But I found what Nike were saying to their uh, investors, where they were saying they've got these kind of pillars of response, which is containment, which is what, where, where they were at sort of in January or February then retrenchment to kind of bring things back to normal and, 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 and reduce their cost base. Then they said they perceive recovery followed by normalization, followed by return to growth. So it was a nice little framework, containment, retrenchment, recovery, normalization, and return to growth. And I think it's a nice way to think about the future. Be interested to see what the other folks say. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're, we're seeing there's a few different models that people are using it to look at it. Um, I think, but, there is this general sense of we have to look at the, the short term. We have to focus so hard on that right now. And the long term just kind of will have to look after itself. And we expect there to be some uh, recovery, some scenario in which there is an economic recovery. And, and there are different models that we might put to that slow or a bit faster. Um, but we're not, we're not kind of getting to that stage yet. It's about controlling the current environment as much as we possibly can get into the understanding where the industries are that we can actually focus on uh, how we're managing the cash flow etc etc it might be in the next week or two that we start to see people come out of that immediate term mode but uh, certainly in the in the customers that we're working with that, that's still very much the case at the moment and Rhianne, anything to add is it all about the here now and next week so, so not not entirely i mean I, so i rec- i recognize that that thought process though i mean we are you know, we're in the business of, of efficiency, I guess. You know, we are, what we do as a business is to help other businesses keep keep their work flowing. Um, and so the latent need for what we do doesn't change. You know, we, it, the timescales may change. You know, there is there is other, you know, possibly more important imperatives at the moment um, than, than kind of concluding business transactions with us. And we, and we get it. Um, but ultimately, we're not seeing that demand disappear. We're just, you know, it's pump the brakes. 
wait for us to get this under control and then come back to us. So, um, so from that point of view, we, yeah, we do see some, some businesses challenged by the amount of things they're having to do at the moment. Right. Um, but that isn't stopping us from planning. We are, we have a pretty clear view of the future. We had, you know, within a week of being locked down, I guess, you know, we had replanned our business for the whole of Q2. Um, We are, we are using the learnings in the short term that we've already been working in a slightly new way. We are, yeah, we're, we're, we're bowling forward because, because that's our job and because, you know, it, and, and also it's because what businesses need us to do. So, you know, so, so we are highly respectful of it and we are very, very um, cautious and um, yeah. And, and full of empathy in the way we go about it. But, but we are seeing a need for us to offer what we have in a different way. We're seeing a need for us to show our customers how, how we can more quickly and in a more agile way support their needs right now. Um, so we're being, I guess, fairly bullish from a marketing point of view, which is, you know, we have to lead that charge, right? It's on us. We, we, we lead that view of ourselves into our customers. And, um, you know, that means we have to do things differently. We've, we've, we're doing rapid prototyping on doing things differently. We've had some incredible successes um, in terms of things we've already trialed. And, and we're kind of, we're, we're good to go. We are, we are excited by the, by the creativity and the, um, and the imperative that this provides for us. And I think um, we touched on it briefly earlier there is always a good reason to do, you know, what we might call digital transformation. There is always a, a reason for, for moving things and changing it. But in reality, that often gets delayed by the work that needs to be done today. Whereas actually the work that needs to be done today can no longer be done today. So we have to rapidly move into what we would call, I guess, a digital transformation. And that's an exciting ride. And it, and it gives us an opportunity to set the benchmark and to be the people who get it right. And certainly for, for, for me and my team, we are hugely energized by that possibility by by being the people who worked this out you know and who and who were able to do it differently and better and that customers really appreciated it is there um, is there going to be a, a sort of kind of community aspect to the res- response do you think particularly in on the tech side where you've got this you know acceleration of digital transformation now and we can we can expect a, a surge in demand as we go through into recovery mode uh, and I think one of the ways that I think it's an, an interesting question for for B two B marketers is, is, is how to uh, how to cope with that, and, and what's the role of the channel uh, and the kind of you know ecosystem uh, of companies there that might be then trying to help a whole range of different industries transform and adapt quite rapidly. I have one question around that. So, uh, just to one quick question for, for the other guys here, because I have a sort of pessimistic view around price. Okay, I think there's going to be a wholesale review of prices across B2B uh, because the demand will be there. You can then demand price, uh, ask price, you know, do price reduction or force price reduction. Be interested to see um, what your view on that is, guys. I think there might be some interest <laughs> from customers in, in, in price reduction, for sure. Yeah, I mean, as businesses sort of um, rapidly re-maneuver to try and keep, keep themselves profitable and keep, keep themselves moving, of course, they're going to be looking, I imagine. But 
um, for ways in which they can become more cost efficient. And some of that may be what can we push down to our providers and our suppliers. Um, that doesn't strike me as a new behaviour, um, but it might be something that we see more of in terms of volume. Back to the kind of community aspect, though, because I think there is a, there's a connection here. I mean, as a business, we are providing apps on our platform, which we're offering, you know, for kind of a, a period of free to use, um, specifically because we want to be the business that's helping in this crisis, right? How the partners are getting involved, well, our partners are able to do exactly the same thing and we're encouraging them to do so. So we are we are beginning to see a community building up to say, what can we put into this picture which is not specifically revenue generating but is of value to the community of customers that we have? Um, and we, are, we have a very close... Um, uh, well-grounded partner organization. Uh, we have many, many partners working with us and we are seeing real appetite from them to kind of get into this, what can we provide kind of free of charge, you know, um, or free to use for periods of time. How do we do that to make sure that we are providing what's needed um, to customers in this time, you know? So I think I'm, I'm seeing a really interesting shift in how success is viewed by us, you know, um, and by the tech industry, what does success look like? Well, of course, it looks like revenue and margin, but also it looks like how do you how do you respond in a crisis? What kind of business are you, and how can you mobilise the assets around you for the good of the customer community? Yeah, I'm loath to look or think too far ahead, um, as we've already discussed. But in terms of legacy, do you think anything fundamental in terms of uh, success might change once we're through some of this. That is a great question. Fundamental, a fundamental change in the view of success. Um, I mean, I can only say what I would like to happen. I, I, I don't know exactly what the future brings. But yes, I think I can see an outcome here where the community gets stronger, where the community that wraps itself around a certain technology can do more in support of kind of more humanitarian type environments and and where the legacy becomes as much about revenue and profit as it does about the good the footprint of good that is left behind you know i can i can certainly say i hope that's where we end up just to add to that i think one of the sort of slightly separate point but one of the great upsides of the of the situation at the moment is this kind of lowering of pretense uh, and I think now it's professional to be at home with the kid running through the picture or your partner proffering a cup of tea and you know production values are different uh, and that's sort of just allowed everyone to be a bit more candid and honest and, and give a human more of a human perspective uh, and I think that that's quite liberating and, it, and it's definitely been one of the positive things that I, that I hope we retain is that just uh, you know, lowering of pretense and, and, and bombast and, and so on and just being a bit bit more down to earth perhaps. Yeah, and we we refer to that as kind of realness. So as you know, as we are we're considering how we now take our messages out in an appropriate and, and you know and helpful way, you know, we're looking at right back to basics, you know, we're looking at how do we create content that's relevant and compelling. Um you know, we just got to we got to cut it short, right? We've got to get straight to the point. We can't be doing um, presentations on stage for forty five minutes right now. We better be getting a really crisp and clear, compelling message out in less than seven on video, shot at home in a highly real environment. So, so I hope we don't step back from that. I think, uh, firstly, it forces brevity, and I'm a big fan. 
Um, and I think it, it forces us to get to the point and to be highly compelling in, in, and take up less of people's time. So, um, so I hope we stick with it. I hope, I hope this kind of homemade video, homemade quick messaging, you know, highly relevant quick messaging, I hope we stick with it because that's, I've, I have found personally it's much easier to digest, much easier to understand. I hope we don't stick with tracksuits. That's the main thing once we go back to the workforce. <laughs> There's that, there's that expression that you'll hear a lot on, um, I don't know, on TED Talks and various self-help posts on LinkedIn about bringing your real sense self to work. And I guess to a degree we've been uh, asked to or forced to bring our real self. Uh, I've, the, the number of times I've been interrupted by my daughter in the middle of calls with colleagues this week and last is um, uh, more than I had before, at least anyway. Um, but yes, I'm with you, Colin. Uh, there, there are aspects of my real self that perhaps I should leave at home and put through all of them. <laughs> um, uh, bringing um, or trying to bring this to a conclusion um, I, I just like to get your thoughts and we'll go around everybody for all the people listening if there's one thing that you would ask them to uh, focus on or think differently about or anything that you've learned over the last two or three weeks that you think uh, others could learn from uh, what would that be who wants to kick us off put you on the, uh, on the hot seat um, I'm, I'm happy to go first. So I think uh, we talked quite a bit about the adaptation and I think some of the kind of external facing comms and how we uh, need to focus on the customers. I think there's also that, that big piece of internal marketing and how marketers have a real opportunity to help the organization adapt by by firstly setting the right tone and, and, and showing how we can communicate in this era. But also I think there's some interesting questions about the service delivery and the, how marketing might have an opportunity to help the organization adapt in the way it's delivering some of its services, you know, particularly where there are knowledge workers involved. Marketing may well be in a leadership position when it comes to collaboration tools and techniques and can certainly play a role in helping service redesign and the communications that go around that. So I think that's that's a really interesting question that, uh, you know, marketers could, could, I think, benefit from asking themselves. I think riffing around that point there, uh, the point I would make is, it's the Marshall McLuhan point about the medium is the message. So if none of your colleagues or your boss or whatever worked out before that communications is not just a thing, it's the thing, um, and words matter, uh, if the, you know, to, to use this opportunity to kind of communicate, uh, sort to tell and reinforce, if you will, that communication is everything that we've got right now. We're looking at each other through a whatever a, a six-inch screen, a six by six-inch screen for the most time, and we're just hearing words, and then there's this kind of disembodied voice and face on the screen. Uh, if communications haven't been proved to be important in your organisation now, now is the opportunity to go and say it's all we have at the moment to keep us going. And Rhiannon, on that question of internal marketing and the importance of communication, which for many companies has just been a financial update or um, a new charitable initiative or Friday drinks around the kitchen, whatever it is. I mean, internal marketing and the importance of employer branding seems to me to be uh, it's its time right now. Would you agree? Yeah. I absolutely, and and I 100% agree with 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 what the other guys have already said. Um, I think there is something about the environment as well. So so yes, communications is. You, you, frankly, you can't overdo it. So if you think you're overdoing it, you're not. Keep going. Do more. But there is something else about creating an environment internally, and I think that's what that's what I've focused on as a marketing leader. You know, my focus has been very much on 
doing it differently, right? We don't have an option but to do it differently. So let's let's start as a baseline that we're going to do it differently and provide the environment then for taking risk, trying things, accepting that a percentage of this won't work. Whereas pre-COVID-19, possibly slightly less appetite for risk, right? So you know, we know what makes the number, we know what makes the, the, the um, pipeline, we understand all of those metrics and we know what levers to pull. Now things are a little bit different. Take the risk, have a go. It might, it might not. If it doesn't, we'll learn something from it and we'll move on. So I think as part of your comm strategy internally, providing the, um, the space for absolute um, creativity and risk taking and to build a culture around that I think will be the enduring thing out of the other side. You know, I think that the world will continue to shift and change and having flexed the muscles during this time, I think will put everybody in a better position going forward. The kind of rallying and an uplifting rallying call that seems to me to be the perfect place for us to conclude today. Um, I think in my conclusion, it is clearly a, quite a shocking and uh, scary and thrilling to paraphrase David earlier environment that we are operating in right now but I think what come across very clearly uh, in that comment from Rhiannon and comments from others as well is that there are opportunities it's not all uh, desperate so thank you very much for that uh, Rhiannon and thank you to Colin and David too for all of your time today so until next time goodbye You have been listening to Inside B2B, sponsored by The Marketing Practice and brought to you by Bauer London Creative with me, Russell Parsons, and producer Tim O'Donoghue. You can subscribe via Marketing Week's page on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. 